0: It should say recording started. I saw it. Yep. Right. It's not often that I have the luxury of talk to people that are really at the top leading a sport. And very often because um, we are kind of in different realms. So uh, in this case, it's a bit different because the person I'm introducing soon is someone that has been involved in sport, but also in technology, in innovation, in investing. And um, easy to say, it's Andrea Gaudensi. The current chairman of ATP. Ciao Andrea. Ciao
1: Carlo. Thank you for having so, me. So
0: can I say congrats for another cycle?
1: Thank you. Thank you very
0: much. I know it Thank won't you. be it won't be holidays because you're always super <laughs> busy and you're trying to change things, which is one of the reasons that I really like talking to you. And through the years we had some random and deep conversation, and I always took things and that I use in you know what I'm doing every day. Um, so, um, you also have been a player for many years. I, I think you stopped 20, and I, I don't want to talk too much about tennis because it's not what I'm expert in, if I'm expert in anything. 20 years ago, you stopped playing, correct?
1: Yes, I stopped in 2003, exactly, when I was 30
0: yeah. years old. Correct. Wow. So now, and then you've been an, an investor, an entrepreneur in general innovator can we mention the little startup in italy that did amazing things that i'm using every day but it was also with my family
1: yes i i basically for 15 20 years have been completely outside of tennis i've never stopped being a tennis fan meaning i always continue to watch tennis on tv digital obviously and and this is a little bit where my frustration came obviously in in being an avid tennis fan but i could see things improved and, and I saw the opportunity, but long story short, my post career has been in different sectors from from gaming, from startup to large companies. The company you mentioned is Music Match, which is having a great success. We basically work in the metadata space in the music industry, providing the lyrics to the main players like Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify, et cetera. But we do a lot more than that also. we We did the manage the admin royalty and and a lot of stuff, basically with the main goal of enhancing the music experience, which I think it's got to a pretty good level. If I'm, you know, I'm a subscriber of all these services, I really enjoy music, you know, one-stop shop, sort of all the catalog. Now Spotify has added a lot of podcasts, et cetera. But if I compare the music experience today to what it used to be, 20, 30 years ago, when we were always struggling with CDs and players, it, it's a lot better. So I've had a, you know, a good run, I also had other startups in the financial services and all of that things. And then I got closer to tennis a little bit through ATP Media as a non-executive board member. And again, spotted this massive opportunity that I see in our sport. And yeah, and almost as a coincidence, uh, you know, I took the opportunity of the becoming the chairman of the ATP in 2020. Started, you know, two months before COVID hit during the bushfires in Australia. <laughs> so it's been really a difficult period to manage, but uh, overall proud of what we've done the last three and a half years because we managed to actually... Passed a lot of reforms and changes within ATP, which is basically the phase one of uh, our One Vision strategy. During a very mm-hmm. very difficult period of disruption, right, and where everybody who had a very good difficult time, players with a fifty percent cut in price money, bubbles. I mean, we were in a survival mode, in crisis mm-hmm. mode. Nevertheless, we did massive changes to prepare for the future.
0: Because the announcement of One Vision was what mid twenty, I don't remember the you announced are... it...
1: Yeah, I basically presented it to the board before being elected, you know, a very short summary. Okay. I mean, the concept was there. They, they really liked the idea. And then we divided in two phases. Phase one with a focus on ATP, a sort of yes. let's get powerhouse in order. And phase two then, you know, related to a closer collaboration with Grandstands, yeah. WTA, and ITF. Uh, so I think phase one is completed now we approved it last year but and we did the first year only board consultation and then we went to all the stakeholder consultation process negotiation took another year and we approved it basically in spring summer last year
0: and just for the people that are not completely aware uh, what are and I think it started the implementation started January 1st this year yeah if I remember well and what are the main points as, as you know I'm, I'm more into the you know the media of and engagement. I think the I think core is
1: right. yeah, the core of it is aligning the interest of the partnership between players and tournaments, first of all, which means players having the full visibility and transparency over the financial of the tournaments and regulating the relationship via a prize money formula, which is basically profit sharing 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a base price money, and then when the tournaments do well, the masters, you know, there is excess profits, it gets re and reallocated to the players. For the past 30 years, the players never had the visibility of the tournament's economic, and price money was negotiated every year on a percentage increase basis, but always with one side on the dark side, which is a difficult, you know, negotiation to have and it creates a lot of, uh, you know, mistrust and, and a lot of internal conflicts that I always felt were unnecessary in occupying 80-90% of the energies, resources and time within the organization. It's almost like saying you have a partner in a business and you give him a hundred dollars at the end of the year and he's asking you, okay, how much money have you made? And you tell them, you know, look, this is none of your business. So obviously that relationship will have issues in the long term. So that is done. And, and it's great. Obviously the second main pillar is around, you know, expanding, creating a better premium product. So we have expanded, five of our Masters, we, this year we are, have expanded Madrid, Rome and Shanghai in and 25, also Canada and Cincinnati, with the concept of, you know, the fans want to see the best players in the world playing in the best arenas, so obviously the Grand Slams and the Masters, and obviously the ATP Final and WTA Finals, are those events where the top players have commitment, it's mandatory to play, so this is definitely the most attractive events that we have in our sport and and i think it's key to to simplify or at least to try to simplify the story to the fans because they love to see these these events these you know top players playing against each other and we are lucky because we have many days of that content that obviously can be very very valuable for broadcasters and which is obviously what we're going to talk about in this in, in this session so as a consequence of uh, you know Aligning the interest, uh, price money formula, with transparency, enhancing the premium product, the masters. And then obviously the other piece was media aggregation. We aggregated the rights of the 250, 500 into ATP media with equity. So now we have one you know, stop shop in a sort of a commercial entity. We've also created Tennis Data Innovation where we pulled all our data and streaming rights for the betting market. We've gone to market with an RFP and was very successful. And last but not least, the governance review. We've done an extensive governance review, which is basically the core of how an organization makes decisions. So in terms of we removed, you know conflict of interest, we've set a new uh, allocated new position in the board. So everybody has a seat at the table and many, many other things. So all in all, yeah, obviously time will tell, but uh, so <laughs> far happy and proud of what we have achieved.
0: No, and uh, I also, yeah, the, the TDI thing, is it mostly managing rights or it also has an input in your technology use? It's also no, operational. It's, it's
1: creating a center of excellence with in mind, obviously, always the consumer experience, right? So it's not only about collecting the data and then with a the feed selling it and providing yeah, yeah, it to yeah, the yeah, operator. Yeah. We're also working in new experiences to that data. By the way, the data can be used also for coaching purposes for the players. It can be used for overlay graphics on TV for the broadcast. You know, data in itself can help enhance the different experience. It's very interesting. You know, there's a lot of statistics around that. So it's a bit everything. It's about having a team focused 100% in that. Obviously, the core market they're serving at the moment is the betting streaming yeah. market, yeah. which is necessary to have the data in order to to have those transactions. But it's uh, long term; it's going to be a lot more than that.
0: And I, I remember um, I was at a lunch with one of the people leading the data side of things, and it's there is obviously, I mean, the, all my career has been started with you know sports data and said, but it's so much sophistication in what you're doing that is impressive. I was really impressed about, you know, the sophistication, how you, you manage the streams, et cetera. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense to put all the data aspects in one place. So you have people expressing that with others that help selling the rights, et cetera. But this becomes, I think, it's the way you have continuous innovation because there's someone that basically every day you have to think about, okay, we have to manage it, but we have to create something new. We have to create additional value and so on. I think it seems a, so, I mean, absolutely, on paper or, and even in practice, it seems a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is challenging for every sport. I mean, it is challenging for every organization to continuously innovate and and balance the struggle that you have on the market. We have our issues like on the product governance side, on the discussions we have on calendar, on rules, on ranking, mm. and this is all related to the product. But then you should not forget, and this is what I I really believe in, but. What well, is going to happen in 15, 20, 30 years? Where are we going? Otherwise, you get stuck, you know, head down in the weeds and you always focus about next year, next year. Everything is going fairly well, but you don't realize that slowly you might be losing fans or actually market share out there because the world is changing and it's changing a lot faster than it used to be. So, this mm-hmm. is the challenge nowadays for really any business, but for also, particularly for a sport property that have never, never been used to compete in a. In a marketplace which is ultimately the entertainment industry, where yeah. now we have a lot of tech media giants, you know, compared to the past, that they are used to manage innovation and technology yeah. and data. In a good way. And data, exactly. They're data, yeah. almost no. all data driven, you no.
0: I, I think this tension between short term and long term, as I, you know, I'm in a new phase since February, I reflect a lot about. Short term. I'm more of a long-term guy, which is an easy way to escape uh, maybe accountability at some point. But very often you see the damage when, of, when short-term is leads. Sometimes you have to do it. I mean, if you're in a company, I mean, but, but I think balancing the two, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, yeah. I know phase two is, uh, you know, is now. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of blah, 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 which I'm not interested in. Uh, what is the, the ambition of phase two? Especially again for, you know, what relates to media fan engagement, etc.
1: Yeah, look, phase two, obviously, we're not alone, we're not alone and we need to design it together with the grand slams, WTA and ITF, so with all the tennis stakeholders, right? But in a nutshell, and obviously I cannot go into much details because we're having those discussions now, is we're all part of the same story, right? As a fan, you know, going back to my frustration when I've been 15, 20 years outside of tennis as a fan you you want to watch tennis and you want to watch it all right you want to watch men and women tennis you want to watch the big tournaments small tournaments the grand slams of course are the pinnacle of the sport the most important tournaments then we have the year end finale with the ATP WTA finals Davis Cup and Billie and King Cup but that story at the moment is technically written by different stakeholders, which all go about with slightly different strategies, they go to market with different teams, they have different commercial teams. So we have different deals with broadcasters, with data and all of that. So it's about, we're talking to the same people, we cannot really, you know, uh, write different chapter of the same book separately, and also sell it in different bookstores, because we create a very, a very painful experience for our for our consumers. the very, very simple idea. How can we get together and work closer together, aligned in a way that we can offer a better proposition to ultimately what I believe are, you know, the essence of our future growth and success, the fans. Because today's fans, they have a lot of opportunities. You know, I, in my one visual strategy presentation, I presented the slide of the founder and CEO of Netflix, which basically said, Uh, my biggest competitor is sleep when they asked him about, are you concerned about Apple and Amazon coming into the space of Netflix? And he said, no, I'm actually concerned with any form of entertainment that occupies the time and attention uh, and wallet, ultimately, of consumers. And they sleep a lot. So (laughs) that's it. (laughs) It was a way of saying competition is a lot broader than we think. Therefore, uh, and today people have a lot of options. I see my kids how they engage with gaming platforms and and it's going to be difficult for sport properties even entertainment properties actually to to engage the younger generation so the you know in a nutshell is we live in a very very competitive environment which will get even more competitive the opportunity in terms of potential of addressable market is growing because there is more people in the world uh, we have higher penetration. The technology, the devices allow you to consume content a lot easier. It's more accessible than it used to be. So they, the addressable market will grow, but the competition will grow. So get together, try to become stronger. And it's also a question of investments and economies of scales and synergies, right? There is all these tech platforms are expensive and and we don't have the scale individually, each one of us. So if we get together, we can actually... You know the MLB, what they have done with Palm Tech and building their first OTT the platform, which they then sold to Disney. We don't have that type of scale at the moment individually. The six or seven of us alone, but together we can definitely do that.
0: But you know that if you remember that the, the aggregation, the centralization of digital platforms, especially in a case like yours, when you have tournaments that are basically working twenty-four-seven for a year, but live one month more or less with you know ticketing and everything. I think there is a lot of synergy that you can create there. And that kind of my strategic obsession of the last few years. (laughs) Uh, In the past, I worked with the NFL, for example, to centralize. But American sports are born centralized. Everything else is a bit less. And so I think that there are, if you want to cross the pond, there are good things about the American system for leagues, etc. There are good things about European, but... Learning from each other, it normally, I mean, there, there are a lot of lessons learned that you can take from the U.S. because yeah. there are certain things that are best centralized. There are certain things that may be in a better email in a different way. Um, going, to, going to streaming, I remember an interview like some months before you became the chairman the first time, 2019, where you were saying uh, tennis is born for digital, streaming is the right solution because obviously tennis has a lot of content almost every day, kind of right? If you put everything together. And so have you changed your mind or you still think streaming?
1: No, no, <laughs> uh, it, it's to me, hundred percent part of the opportunity that we have, you know, obviously in the linear, in the linear world, tennis, you know, has a, the massive issue that we have is that we don't know how long a game is. You don't know who's playing until the day before. So from a broadcast perspective, if you're linear and you need to plan, It's difficult. I mean, I remember many matches that had to move channel because the news was coming at eight o'clock back in the 90s. Right. So we have a lot of content. We have a lot of content all around the world in different time zones. We have a very strong women product. So I'm, you know, the WTA and, and women's tennis is probably the strongest women's sport. So we have this also variety in the fans, because our fan, our audience is also 50-50 men and women, which I think is a massive value compared to other sports, which are mostly you know, uh, skewed towards male. And we're global. So we're all around the world. So lots of content, many hours, all time zone, men and women. I think we're in a very, very good place for the evolution, or call it the revolution, or how content will be distributed in the next 10 to 15 years mostly
0: via digital platform and i, I think uh, by the way we didn't plan this but it's wimbledon week and i just saw news that discovery plus is saying they are showing all matches which at least for me is like yeah exactly so i, I started having <laughs> working in streaming in 2008 with nbc olympics in new york and we immediately saw okay forget channels, forget linear the challenge is then you need to create the discovery of content. so there are other challenges in streaming but but clearly that's the, the, you should be able to serve fans in a way that they can watch whatever they, they need on whatever platform. This is, I mean, kind of old news now, but I think it still takes times because sometimes, the, you know, the money somewhere else, etc. Et but if, no, if you look at, sorry, go on there.
1: No, no, go go ahead. I, I was just saying, I agree with you, there are challenges. The transition won't be simple, won't be easy. But it creates massive opportunity because the, the fans are, they're oh. all different. You, you can take tennis fans like any other sport or any other industry, you probably have a scale of 10 different types of fans. An avid fan, people who watch only the big, big matches, the final in the Grand Slam. Some other people, they really watch small tournaments. Some other, they follow their local heroes. And... and The ability of digital is that it can give you a very very personalized experience right you could be watching somebody on core 15 at 10 a.m if you want to but you can still obviously watch the core matches or have you know just focus on the summary of the highlights pre-match post-match also i think we're going in a direction where the offline the the non-live content becomes a lot more important and valuable to help you know, provide more context to the fan and storytelling, which is what we we have done with the Netflix series now. You know, F1 was the first one doing that, golf and tennis following. But fans wanna see more than just the live competition. They also it's about storytelling ultimately, right? Entertainment. So if you can tell a beautiful story around it and and get them closer to our athletes, to our personality, they're obviously going to enjoy more of the live match. So it's it's definitely more challenging because it's more complex. But all in all, we, all of us, could be capable of providing a much, you know, entertaining and fulfilling experience to each fan, and because they are all different and they likely require a very personalized one.
0: Mi fermo un attimo perché il trapano sta martellando. È ma tanto forte adesso. È da te vero?
1: Eh, si sì, da me il cavolo. Io purtroppo. Aspetta. Ma è andata bene, sì, si sente. L'unico modo di spostarlo è che cambio stanza io, uh, però ti cambia il background, che è un po' ah. strano.
0: Beh, ma aspetta, magari aspetta. No, perché adesso è aumentato. Prima c'era il paziente, tanto ripeto. Aspetta un attimo pensiamo... a vedere, Sky. Non è Sky.
1: Aspetta, che riesco a fare? Transparency nelle AirPods noise cancellation, ce l'ho già. Vabbè, non è, si ripeto, è,
0: è, è per i miei canali, non, cioè, non è gravissimo. Basta, solo no, vabbè, se non però si sente, altro. non è granché.
1: Adesso si è fermato.
0: Sì, allora scusami, ok. Volevo parlare, allora riprendo io, ci mettiamo così, così cambia anche la scena più facile. So, uh, you are saying it's entertainment, right? Uh, the Netflix series, what is your experience? Aiuto, <laughs> così tossisco anche, rifamo
1: lo senti forte adesso meglio. Adesso troppo, no?
0: un attimo sì prima era di background non era così grave aspetta bent' un attimo Simon ciao Simon
1: ciao ciao What Simon, do you think do you hear the noise? Is it too loud It's quite loud
0: Yeah It's uh I mean it's listenable but it's it's a
1: bit of a shame
0: Yeah uh, <laughs> But it's also not Do you think Can it's very bad background?
1: Change the background sì. is an
0: issue. se riesci, se non ti rompe le balle, riesci quasi quasi. No, io uh,
1: per me è un secondo, it's a second for me, the problem is. Ma sì. Ah, inter... sorry. Hey, starts... it it's so nice. the background and changes is not the idea. No. No. Probably they can't control these guys. I mean, <laughs> they go on, Beh, on.
0: riproviamo. Let's let's restart, okay? Let's try another
1: time and otherwise okay. we try to change room.
0: Ma, allora so you were saying entertainment and obviously the netflix series is the first thing uh, that come to mind what was your uh, your experience with that because you know we have seen it we see people commenting but how was atp involved i was working with netflix
1: what is the future of this evolving first of all it was the part that i really appreciated is how we got it together is a closer collaboration with the four Grand Slams and the WTA, right? Because they, it's probably the first one of a kind that we do a deal that all of us get together uh, as one uh, to have a counterpart and uh, with Netflix and Box to Box, which are the producer, the same producer of Drive uh, right to Survive, Formula One. So that, that was nice. It was everybody jumped in, they saw the opportunity, they understood the value. Of, of you know engaging our fans with more non-live content, so that in itself I think was a, was a success. It was a lot easier for Formula One to do a deal with Netflix. For us, we have yeah. to agree all of us to do one, which is always more complex. is is part of the, the struggle of of our fragmentation. And then you know ultimately you hand over the the editorial and the story to to the experts, and we've helped of course in terms of providing players and and guiding a little bit. But I'm, I've just watched the, the second part of season one uh, last week and I'm really pleased. I like it. And I think it's going to get better, better, better and better. The same way as I felt drive right to survive season two, three and four were better than the first one. And, and hopefully we continue many, many more.
0: Yeah. And, and you have seen in football, there were other cases where um, take the Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, the two Hollywood star, buying a club, fifth level club, which is got promoted, lucky, Wrexham FC, and basically the deal was as much as about the club, about the, the series that we were able to produce, and the money came more from the series, so uh, there is clearly contamination between, you know, traditional entertainment and sports, and uh, th- the question is more, do you think also changing a bit like other have tried uh, creating events that are more for entertainment, more from the fans, or, you know, do you, do you see tennis going that way, or you kind of keep the, the product as you call it uh, a bit more protected what is your idea there
1: yeah that's a very difficult question I, generally I think sport is entertainment so it falls already in the category of entertainment and obviously there is, different form, there is different forms of entertainment uh, but what's our mission obviously you want to have somebody to watch a tennis match and enjoy it and forget all their problem and, and put a smile on people's faces and and also to a certain extent, what I really love about sport, try to send the right values to the younger generation. You know, I grew up watching tennis and I think what we stand for are the things that I want my kids to to learn and also stand for. And we've got great examples from our athletes. So there is a dual, there is dual role, which is entertainment and to me also education, because sport is not only purely entertainment, but it's also education. And, and you can go into wellness and mental health and all of that, which you probably don't get just by watching a movie on Netflix yeah. or this to a song.
0: Yeah. And uh, so let's go in more in the innovation. I've seen that in 2025, correct? You introduced the electronic line calling live for all tournaments, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, look, it's uh, also a also difficult decision because the balance, as you say, the balance between the tradition of the core rule of the sport and how much do we innovate to adapt to the changes, I think it's very delicate and it's very complex. I always felt that, in, at least in our world, there's so much to do on how we govern the sport and how we commercialize it, how we go about sales and distribution, and the challenges that we have with our fragmentation, that this is probably in light of the 80-20 rule, you know, focus on the 20% that deliver 80% of the value. That's what we need to focus first, because ultimately we have a billion fan, we have a billion fan around the world that love tennis. But our problem that we struggle with the distribution, so reaching even a greater audience, but mostly engaging properly with that audience, keep them more engaged, because the struggle I've, I've, I've told you before, you know, finding this chapter of the books in different bookstores. Now, at some point, I'm pretty sure every sport will have to look at alternative formats. They will have to revise the length. Is it too long? Is it too short? What do we do here? I think we all need to be very careful because I, 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 I'm i big in innovation and change. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a video game. So I worked in video game and in video gaming, which is a little bit in a way similar, you know, you have to get the right recipe, you know, once, for example, King got the right recipe for Candy Crush, they're also very, very careful, the game designer about touching the core of the game mechanics. But you can't do a lot of A-B testing, right, you can change and you have different cohort of fans and you can go and change the game in, for example, in a small market like Finland, but. In tennis, it's more difficult to do this A B testing. It's not that we can go and change the rules and then two months later go back to the previous rules. Plus, you have the players are the actor, they are the product, they're not avatars, right? <laughs> you can't tell somebody like. For now. Yeah, tomorrow, to, for now. Yeah, that's another discussion. You cannot just tell them, okay, tomorrow the court is shorter, the net is higher, you only have one serve. You know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's years of practice and training according to certain rules. So I'm very, very, very cautious and careful about touching the core of the game mechanics and the product, especially because I strongly believe that we're in a pretty good place. I I love tennis the way it is. You might argue I'm biased because I was a tennis player. There's there's definitely fine tuning you can do like, okay, do we agree that the crowd should move? Uh, Should we have more music between the changeover, coaching, that type of things. But the core, core of the game mechanics, I would be very cautious.
0: And so you you just uh, created a perfect segue for the next thing I wanted to ask you. I I don't know if you saw, NVIDIA did a paper on implementing a tennis match with AI, with a player learning different styles. I don't know if you saw that video. And I was thinking, okay, what what, because my reaction is, oh, that, that is cool. And then I start thinking, but they really want to watch it. But, you know, you being a player and, you know, exactly what you said before, they're not avatars. They created a tennis match that decent, I would say, in terms of movement, et cetera, quality. What was your reaction when you saw that?
1: Well, I mean, generally speaking, when I look, and I really like the AI space, especially the generative AI, it's it, it's scary, right? At least for me, it's a bit scary, and it's not only for tennis; it's actually scary for, for no. generally for our life, like what are we going to do in 30, 50 years? Are we going to be just, you know, AI bots around us, what jobs will we will be capable of doing? So it, it's generally a very, very interesting, but also very scary. I can't you know I hear all these things obviously at everybody chat GPT obviously we, we are now thinking mostly about the a super intelligence assistant but the reality that also that you know they're saying I'm not an expert but could also have a shape and form a physical shape and form so I don't know if we're gonna see uh, entertainment product and sport like tennis I, I don't think so and I hope not because I think, we humans have something which is fantastic, which is emotions. Uh, And and I'd like to keep it that way. But so generally speaking, I don't believe that that type of, you know, could replace the the emotion and, and the entertainment value that you have two humans fighting against each other in a real arena, you know, that type of thing. But, you know, going back to technology and innovation, if you look at what Apple has just released with the Vision Pro, Meta is going to launch the new Oculus this fall, you could argue, okay, the experience between live and remote, it's it's becoming very close, right? You're going to put one of those headsets next year or in a few years, getting even better. And you're going to feel like, almost like being there. It's going to get closer. I mean, even if you compare the remote experience today, watching in a large TV screen with 1080p or 4K, it's 10, 20, 100 times better than it used to be in the 90s in a small screen and low resolution, right? So it's becoming a lot more fun to watch, generally entertainment, but particularly sport remotely, which is good. This is, to me, is part of the opportunity and it's part of the opportunity to actually reach more people and a wider audience because no, not everyone can either afford or there is not enough space, these two weeks in Wimbledon towards more than, you know, uh, more than the number of people that the stadium can fill. So, and we want to reach billions of people potentially. So that's very good news, but you, you get to ask yourself what's going to happen to all these live experiences, these big stadiums that we are building, this infrastructure that we are investing. And yeah, and it's difficult to have an answer now. Yeah. And in terms of one thing that uh, I wanted also to ask,
0: uh, going a bit back to the you know what we do, what you do when when everything is digital and media rights can be sold in so many different ways in multiple layers, um, you many years ago launched tennis TV as your own direct to consumer product. We have seen NFL doing NFL Game Pass uh, in the past, NFL Plus in the US. We have seen golf. So there is a lot of experimentation there. What do you see in terms of maybe not only tennis? Obviously, I mean, it's a question that every event someone will ask, No, know, it's there to consumer viable or it's, you know, the broadcaster and whoever, the big tech should be there doing that. What do you see happening? What do you think
1: should happen? Again, a very challenging tradish- transition and a very difficult question, which I believe nobody has fully figured out yet. Obviously, there are some sports property that have the luxury and the freedom to be more fast and have more resources to test different options, which is kind of our struggle, because I think we've done very well on our side with Tennis TV, but obviously Tennis TV at the moment only has ATP content. We don't have the WTA, the Grand Slams and the rest on it. So it's more difficult to test really the market on a direct consumer basis. On the other hand, everybody pretty much still relies mostly on the broadcaster side, which they do a fantastic job in distributing and telling our story, so that transition is not only an issue. How do we manage linear to OTT digital? But also, is it going to be a direct to consumer where every sport property goes direct to their fans, or is there going to be some sort of aggregation in the distribution, which is similar to Netflix, Spotify, on the lines of DAZN? I, I I don't know the answer. I don't think and nobody knows the answer. What I like is that the players, the likes of Netflix, Apple and Amazon, the big ones, who have the resources, but also who have the consumer base, are actively looking into sport, live sport, as a future for them. Because at the moment, they all have decided to get into music, they most all of them have decided to get into you know, movies and TV yeah, series. Yeah, I think the next yeah. step is going to be sport. And they're going to compete also. It's not that the traditional linear broadcasts that are going to sit there and watch. I mean, we've seen the announcement of Disney with SPN, the transition to digital for the next five years. So it's going to be a very interesting market for the next few years, which ultimately could be very good news for everyone, both the consumers and the right holders. So, But challenging, very, very challenging. And I don't think there is the perfect recipe today. You just have to be ready, fast, to move, go left and right, and see the trends, how they wish I mean, you know,
0: it? the best example could be, in that case, in terms of big tech, MLS and Apple Deer for 10 years, yeah. uh, majorly soccer. That's clearly, as an innovation potential, because it's 10 years, it's MLS, which is pretty innovative, and it's Apple, who has a you know strong control on... We'll see how much innovation they will bring, because in the end, they also have to balance it with what you said before about the... For the gaming, the familiarity. So you need, yeah. even in terms of consumption, you need to be careful not to be to disrupt the other, other fights. Fans get lost.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's right. Um, ti faccio una domanda che poi la cancelliamo. Io la faccio tu rispondi poi la non la teniamo se serve.
1: Okay.
0: One thing that I one thing that I uh, imagine in, in, in my obsession about how to distribute sport what, was about if players, meaning tennis players at some point will be allowed to broadcast or whatever we call it, stream their games on their own platforms. I know it's pretty crazy, but <laughs> would it make any sense? Imagine some of your players have huge audiences ready to on social. Media.
1: No, I, they absolutely have huge audiences. And, and we absolutely have to find better ways to use those channels. And obviously they should benefit from it because already they are the big stars. But, Look, the level of production, I believe, needs to be very high quality. It's very expensive. I don't think, you know, you can watch a tennis game on any sport, on a one-person camera, sort of a, you know, Instagram live feed for three, four hours. I mean, what we do with production, what most sports do with production, is very, very expensive. And it provides a level of experience that you cannot match. uh, You know, nobody can do by themselves. Uh, On the other hand, what you're saying can be very interesting for the non-live my opinion, right? They can go about telling their stories uh, in a sort of a self-made video when they are in their hotel room or in the transportation, telling their life behind the scenes, which at the moment, you know, is what we're trying to do with Netflix. And, and there will be many, many, many more docu-series about telling this story. That it can be more personal, the same way that many celebrities have, you know, started basically through social media, having their own direct channel to their fans before they were, you know, there was always somebody in the middle. Now they have a direct relationship with their fans, but on the live, I think it's, uh, it's impossible. No, not important, I mean nothing, who knows in the future, but I don't think it's realistic now.
0: <laughs> and one last thing is, what else has caught your attention in terms of innovation that you've seen other sports doing that you would be curious, to, curious to try in tennis, maybe?
1: I think what, what I'm... Spetta, but, uh, but, I'm uh, sorry, like, let me kill the, the call. Uh, Uh, Sorry, say it again. Ask the question again. What caught my attention?
0: yeah What else caught your attention in terms of innovation in other sports that you maybe are thinking or would be curious to bring into tennis? It can be technology or anything.
1: I'm really fascinated at the moment by the combination of what AI can do and mixed reality. I was never been a big fan of virtual reality in a sense that the experience mm-hmm. that locks you out from the world is something very limited. Maybe, yeah, could be appropriate for gaming, uh, but not for watching a live sport, which I still think can and should be a social experience, you know, even if you are in your living room. But the idea of being capable of, you know, having a mix, which is augmented reality and virtual reality where you have that experience of being live, but you're also, you know, aware of the world around you and you see the people and you can have this type of, I can watch the match from this angle, that angle, I can move around and I can have different experience. I can even, it can can end up to a certain extent, I don't want to say an experience that may be better than live but you can do definitely things that you could not do live, like sitting in first row, for example, or or sitting in the bench of the player or sitting behind the empire or or doing many, many things virtually, which today probably, I don't think the technology is quite there yet, but I'm very, very curious to see what, you know, mm. Oculus 3 and, and Apple Vision Pro will bring. But that type of experience remote with a combination of the capabilities the eye will bring, I think will enhance the experience in the next five years from a fan experience perspective which is going to be incredibly and the thing i love again is that the fact we, we are very very well placed in, given the characteristic of our sport and the volume and the fact that we're global etc etc everything that i just said so that really it's very exciting
0: okay so um thank you andrea i think it has been a long discussion i hope uh, you're relaxing because I know you're moving this week, I guess going back to Wimbledon at some point. Yeah. So it was really great. i happy that you took time for this. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Carlo. Grazie mille and ciao, ciao.
0: You want to do a little promo on uh, ATP Finals? It's Torino, uh, so I can say, oh, I'm in Torino. No, whatever. Simon.
1: You want to invite some? I'm in Torino in what sense uh, now? I, 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 am in, me, I am
0: in Torino, so ah. I can say. It. By the way, my ah. city is the host of the ATP final, so when ah, I okay, leave, is okay. the real. I don't know, but all up to you.
1: No, I, as you want, and see you all in Turin. When is the yeah. date this year? Well, to say in November. Um, yeah, November. Uh, yeah, November. Yeah, okay. it's okay.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll launch it. You say something. We okay. It. And by the way, I live and am in Torino, and I know you will be coming with all your tennis player friends in my city for the finals,
1: right? A hundred percent, yeah. We're looking forward to that. It's been a fantastic event the last two years. The city has embraced it amazingly, massive success. The players loved it, the fans loved it. So definitely see you in Turin in November, a hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Okay. Ciao, thank you. Ciao, ciao. Take care. Va bene. Is nice. it okay, Simon,
1: or no? Yeah, that
0: was great. I think the what the, I, I know that you flagged it, Carlo, before you asked the question. Um, just on, I, I think the, the player streaming no, yeah. show matches, I think, could get it's okay. a little bit tricky. Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: I, I would, it might be no, no, a kind of worms on that it's one. Our I, I, right. Right. It's not yours, it's not exactly the blah blah too. blah. Totally,
0: totally. It's just an idea yeah. that I'm trying to, to use in some of, places. The rest
1: was great. I thought it was a good chat.
0: Okay. Yeah, good stuff. Va bene, so I'll send you the I'll send Simon the file and then we go from there. Okay. Perfect.
1: Ciao, Carlo. Take care. Ciao,
0: Andrea. Grazie mille. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.
1: Thank you.